This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. The attacks by ISIS supporters on an airport and a metro station in Brussels earlier this week have many people wondering whether or not this will have any effect on the possible exit of the U.K. from the European Union. Prior to the, the attacks, the Brexit, as it is being called, a lot of people figured it was about a 50-50 possibility. So a few days afterwards, what are those odds now? To take a look at that possibility... We are joined here in the studio by Bulan Gultikan, who is an associate professor of finance here at the Wharton School. And joining us on the phone, Wharton's Mauro Guillen, professor of international management and also director of the Lauder Institute. Bulan, great to have you in the studio. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. Mauro, great to talk to you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, just general opinion. How do the attacks, Bulan, affect this potential Brexit that's really in the news right now. I mean, what's, I mean, it's going to affect. As a matter of fact, if you look at the recent polls, now those for Brexit is about two points ahead, 52 to 48, which was almost half split. And the referendums are notoriously difficult to predict. Sure, right? yeah. And it's going to change. June is a long time. Politics, three months is a very long time. But currently, it certainly did affect on the basis of just one event in Europe. Moral? Well, it's certainly going to um, affect things because um, there are, um, you know, people and parties in the UK that want to exploit any opportunity uh, to their advantage. I'm talking about the um, UK Independence Party, and uh, this is, of course, very good news for them because now they can claim uh, that um, the UK is at risk of uh, more terrorist attacks if uh, the country remains uh, part of the European Union. Um, so uh, I think it's a it's a combination of two things. I mean, one is um, yeah, it just uh, it gives more arguments, um, you know, against uh, the UK remaining in the union, uh, and uh, and again, you have a party that is growing in um, uh, in uh, acceptance in in Britain and that's getting more votes. Uh, that is very ready to exploit any opportunity uh, to further its cause. Is there also a little bit adding to this uh, potential move, as you said, by the Independence Party, the fact that the, the Associated Press came out with a report a day or so ago talking about how ISIS has basically moved more people into a variety of countries for potential attacks? I mean, the Brexit and the terrorism in Europe are essentially two different things. But the fact that, as Maura suggested, there has been a rise of extreme right in Europe. Yep. And UKIT is one of the parties, France, a national front led by Marie Le Pen and True Finns in Finland, Austria and Germany, of all places. Yeah. So, and this has different dynamics, and certainly, and it started in, in France around 1980s, and there's a strong sort of Islamophobia, and ISIS didn't help these. 
So as a result, and as Morrow said, uh, and UKIP in particular is really using this uh, anti-immigration, anti-sort of, uh, or nationalism as part of it. These are all, remember, very populist parties. And then one issue, parties, and sometimes they say things that people are typically politically, it will be politically incorrect to say. And they're going to exploit these to the last sure. time, and this is going to happen in Europe. So as a result, we would anticipate these things to happen. But on the other hand, if you look at some of the terrorism and what's happening in France and Belgium, and these do not necessarily, the same thing is happening in, in Germany. And there was an interesting research recently. They look at the uh, sort of Muslims living in, in Belgium in particular. There's a Turkish Muslim population in Morocco. Uh-huh. And there's no problem with the Turkish Muslims, partly because they are immune to Salafi propaganda, uh-huh. which because they don't speak Arabic. Yeah. And the family ties are strong. But on the other hand, what we see today in Europe, we have to understand that these guys who perpet- or created this mess are the third generation Europeans. Sure. And ISIS created the breeding ground for them to go, go there and get trained. And so there might be some in future possibility of terror. But, and, and of course, we'll see the, uh, the populist politicians will exploit this to the, uh, as much as possible. But, but I guess there is even a little bit of an effect right off the bat in terms of, of the business that goes on uh, across the European Union because of the fact that it just in the investigation of trying to find the people involved in this, we're seeing, you know, obviously borders... That are, that are being slowed down, not blocked, but slowed down. And that obviously will have an effect small on business, at least right oh, in the moment. I mean, it's it's going to affect everything for the timing because one of the problems is probably you also follow that there are discussions about the security of Europe, European Union yep. and UK, whether UK is going to be better off with and without European Union when it comes to security. And there are now warnings, I think, Schengen Agreement which allows free movement of people is pretty much in in practice not working right now. There is border controls in each country. Yep. So the whole idea of uh, European Union is ba- basically to get rid of the borders and to one unified yep. uh, financial and market altogether. So it's just going to have an impact. On the other hand, probably as it happened in the United States too, I mean, we had a big shock after 9-11. Sure. There are all these fragmented the security structure and all that, but eventually it all got consolidated. And we lived through very difficult times at the airports. We still do in a way, but sure. it was very, very difficult for the first six months to a year. And I think Europe is going to go through the same thing. So they're going to either integrate their security arrangements yeah. much better than used to be. It's very fragmented right now. And these are all dead weight costs to societies in a way. Moral? Well, I think, um, you know, the uh, implications for business uh, operate at two levels, right? Uh, For business and for investors. I mean, the first is the one that um, you have been referring to, which is that any, um, you know, uh, controls at the border uh, will have an impact on uh, companies that have been assuming the free movement of people and also um, goods, right? Um, meaning that there's a lot of companies that in the past have established their operations in Europe, uh, assuming that there will be no borders. And if there is uh, any movement towards, uh, you know, more controls at borders, uh, we think, especially the Schengen area, 
for people or the wider you know, European Union um, that would obviously interfere with uh, the logic of um, those investments that companies have been making over the last 10 years, assuming that there would be no borders, right? But I think there's a, another level at which all of this operates, which is the level of, uh, you know, what the future is going to bring, right, type of question, which is, well, there are problems now in Europe. There are frictions. There are differences of opinion. There are conflicts. Uh, there are crises, like this refugee and terrorism crisis. And I think this increases uncertainty. And so neither investors nor businesses in the real economy like uncertainty. And on top of uh, everything else that is going in the in the world right now uh, and in the global economy, you know, uncertainties in terms of, for example, commodity prices or what's going on with China or what's going to happen more broadly with emerging markets like Brazil, if uh, on top of all of that, we have um, uh, an increase in uncertainty in Europe as a result of all of these problems, well, that that's not good, um, precisely at a time when what you need is more investment in Europe, more job creation. Um, so that the consequences of the crisis, especially in terms of unemployment, are addressed. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's just from the point of view of, um, you know, what the future might bring, uh, all of these events uh, and uh, all of the potential outfall from from the terrorist attacks just adds to the uncertainty. And, and I think this is going to have a major impact on, on most likely on financial markets. And also it's going to, you know, send a signal to many companies that maybe they should put their investment plans on hold. I think the issue is as follows. If you look at the terrorist activities or impact, it's not an existentialist threat to Europe or to any country for sure. that matter, except right. Middle East. But what is happening in Europe right now, the refugee crisis and terrorism put together, sort of uh, putting a tremendous test about the future of the European Union. Yep. European Union didn't really fare well during the euro crisis yep. and it wasn't their, it, their making essentially but they suffered and it showed really some fault lines it created a separation between the south and the and the, and the north of europe and the refugee crisis now another one and europe didn't do well on this either all of a sudden if you look at the entire european union is falling apart and that actually brought the question and this is going back to your question brexit is now is more of an issue people are talking, or at least with all this. Right. This terrorism basically triggered another sort of problem in the European Union. Right. Now, it's just going to hold together. That is the issue, and I don't think they have done well. And the part of the reason that they haven't done well, and that's also the reason why uh, we're talking about Britain's exit, the reaction to the center-right and left parties in Europe to the rise of the populist parties mm -hmm. is very difficult. Center-left is, is a very difficult situation. And the center-right parties do not, the way they used to under the Cold War, have an umbrella, essentially have sort of the center to the center-right. Yep. And the voters are fragmented. So that's the type of Europe. And they push, the, these uh, extreme-right push the center to the right. In the meantime, as a matter of fact, the reason Britain is going through this uh, Brexit uh, exercise because uh, Cameron was worried about the uh, that UKIP, the yeah. UK Independent Party, may get a lot of votes. So he decided to counteract by saying that, all right, if you guys don't want it, we're going to have a referendum, which wasn't <laughs> totally necessary. So as you can see, these guys 
are in the way, just like the way it's happening in the United States. Yeah, and right. we see the same thing. We have Donald Trump and all these guys in the extreme sort of uh, right. They kind of uh, determine the agenda, believe it or not. And that's what happened. So all of a sudden, <clears throat> Britain did have indeed a sort of a checkered history with the European Union from the very, very beginning. Yeah. But they didn't need this uh, sort of the referendum. And that on top of that, because if something happens of Britain leaves, that's going to weaken the European Union. And there are a lot yeah. of question marks. So that is really, it's not so much terrorism, but with one incident created such a havoc in Europe, yeah. it sort of uh, underlies the, sort of, or at least signifies the underlying problems in Europe. That's what happened. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School, joined here in the studio by Mulan Gultikan, Associate Professor of Finance here at Wharton, and also on the phone, Mauro Guillen, who is a Professor of International Management uh, and also Director of the Lauder Institute. Your comments are welcome at 844 844- Wharton, 844-942-7866. Mauro, I guess because of you have the possibility of the Brexit, and obviously, as, as Mullen mentioned, between now and June 23rd, there's a lot of time and a lot of things can happen. But if if Great Britain decides that they do want to leave the European Union, and because you have the terrorism, and because you have the refugee uh, crisis going on, could we see even more of a fracturing of the EU, especially considering the fact that the EU, even though they are joined together, they are realistically separate countries with separate thought processes on so many different topics? Well, look, I mean, it's um, uh, in its um, more than 50-year history, the European Union or its predecessors, the European Economic Community, has never seen a country leave the, uh, the bloc, right? So this would be unprecedented. It would be, uh, you know... Uh, highly disruptive because essentially, you know, a lot of uh, agreements and treaties and specific, um, uh, you know, um, arrangements um, that essentially facilitate trade in, in goods and services and uh, many other kinds of things uh, would uh, become void if uh, the UK decided to to uh, exit the uh, the European Union. Uh, so it would be, you know, uh, really uh, have a major impact on the UK itself, I mean, at least in the short run, and also the European Union. And as Boulin mentioned, uh, it would kind of uh, perhaps trigger also a lot of questions as to what is it that, you know, this idea of Europe, this idea of uh, integration and so on and so forth. But I also want to bring um, uh, to your attention uh, two other very important issues. Uh, and this is where I think David Cameron uh, better win this referendum. I mean, the first is uh, Scottish independence. I mean, as you know, most yeah. of the population in Scotland is uh, unambiguously pro-European. Um, so, you know, most of the um, people who want the UK out of uh, the European Union are in England, not in Scotland. So I think this was just, um, you know, add, uh, you know, more fuel to the independence movement in Scotland because most uh, Scots want Scotland to be part of the European Union. The other issue is um, Northern Ireland and its relationship to the Republic of Ireland, because if the UK were to exit the Union, that would mean that uh, we would we would once again have a border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. So the um, uh, the fallout, the political fallout uh, from uh, a Brexit within the UK would be enormous, especially in Scotland and in Northern Ireland. It would be like a very difficult situation to manage. I, you know, uh, I think that's a less than a 50% chance that Britain will, will exit, right? I think. 
But if it were to, in the end, uh, if, they, if the Brexit were to win the referendum, I think, number one, David Cameron's government will fall uh, immediately. Uh, he would have no other you know, option but to resign. So we would have a, a very difficult political situation in the UK. But, no, that is true. Actually, I was in <clears throat> London to teach a course, one of our global module courses, uh, Finance in Europe. Yeah. So we spent an entire day on, on this question and political economy of European Union. And some of our friends, my uh, classmate, uh, Sir Paul Judge and Lord Norman Blackwell, whom I was serving. I was chief advisor to prime minister when uh, Norman was, Lord Norman was chief advisor to uh, Mrs. Thatcher and later um, uh, prime minister major. And their concern is this. There's, it's not clear what's going to happen. It all depends upon the uh, participation in the referendum. Yep. And people who are emotional about this issue are the ones who would vote no. And it's just a question whether those four would bring the people to the polls. And it really is still uncertain as of this point. But as Morris said, that brings a bunch of uncertainties because European Union was supposed to be a uh, kind of like Catholic marriage. And, uh, <laughs> and that's never going to split. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I think this is part of the problem because UK always thought the European Union is a trade, free trade arrangement, whereas uh, founders of European Union, Jean Monnet and Robert Schuman, they always had a bigger vision that European Union would eventually, or this what they used to call the, um, the steel, European coal and steel community yep. in the 1950s will eventually turn into European Union. In fact, it did happen. And, and now UK feels that part of the reason there is this such, there have always been skeptics. Sure. And right now they feel, well, this used to be a trade zone. And now you're trying to talk about having a federation. So therefore we're not there. So yep. this, is, this is the philosophical part of the issue. So, and it's just going to create tremendous difficulties for European Union because something is going to happen that was never anticipated. Do you think we're going to see some sort of a deal between now and June 23rd? I don't think so because deal has been done. I mean, yeah. um, Cameron, first of all, was not quite clear as to what he was going to negotiate. Right. So he yeah. had some concessions, but on the other hand, uh, there were, those are not really major concessions or, or issues. Not enough for, for what he wants. Well, he wants to basically, he wants to be in the European Union yeah. and yet without really signing the treaty of sure. Lisbon Treaty. So that's not really compatible. So as a result, there was really a test. So uh, I hope that, remember, there was another test in 1975. Yeah. So there was a referendum for the, uh, the British people. They decided to stay. And that, at that time, they had about 68 to 33 almost. And now, or 30, 38, yeah. So it's going to be, remains to be seen. It's still very difficult to predict. But my guess is eventually people realize that leaving... Uh, European Union for UK, especially in the financial sector, is going to be quite disastrous because those people who argue that they can pull a better deal sure. with European Union, London won't be anymore the financial centre. Yeah. Services, because US, UK economy is pretty much dependent upon services, so there'll be tremendous impact. And also, as I said, uh, impact on the European Union as well, because its future is going to be fragmented. Then already there is these uh, micronationalism rising Morrow, how, Morrow, how do you see on it? You mean on the deal? Yeah, uh, on, uh, on between now and, yeah, and June 23rd. Well, I think, uh, you know, the, uh, 
like what happened with the Scottish referendum, I think uh, more and more, um, you know, uh, potential voters in Britain are going to become engaged. Uh, you know, the level of discussion and debate is going to go up. As Bulend was saying, the outcome in the end really depends on the level of participation and in the end who gets mobilized, right, by this. It's very clear that, um, you know, everybody in the UK is going to be affected by the outcome if it's a Brexit, right? Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I still believe that the probability is less than 50% that that there will be a, a Brexit. Um, but, you know, I see, a, as Boulen said, reluctance on the part of the other members, uh, the other um, 27 members of the European Union to make any big concessions because it would undermine the very essence of uh, what they're trying to accomplish, which is, you know, a more integrated Europe. Um, but let me add one thing, you know, um, in, um, you know, in favor of the British position, right? Because it, uh, the British in, in, in Europe have always been criticized for having, for being of two minds regarding European integration, right? On the one hand, that they want to participate, but that, you know, they also want to opt out for certain things and they don't want to participate, for example, in uh, the uh, subsidies uh, for the less developed countries and so on and so forth. And, you know, I think actually Britain over the years has played a, a pragmatic role and has been a beneficial one, essentially asking Europe to really think very carefully about all of the different steps, right? And if you remember, you know, one big problem was the uh, introduction of the single currency um, in a premature way without having all of the institutional mechanisms in place. And, you know, Britain was very clear about that. And in fact, in the end, uh, along with other countries, opted, like Denmark, opted to, uh, to stay out of the, of the euro. Uh, it also opted to be uh, to remain outside of Schengen, which is the um, you know the treaty that uh, enables the free movement of people, uh, and for a good reason because now we see that uh, you know the police forces and the intelligence services of Europe are not uh, prepared uh, for something like uh, the free movement of people within Europe, right? So, so I think the UK, with its um, skepticism about um, you know 100% um, integration within Europe, has been you know, um, has been a beneficial force, right? Uh, essentially always asking the tough questions as to why do we need to do this? Why do we need to uh, make uh, more provisions for independence? So on your show today, you have um, one person from Turkey and I'm from Spain, right? Yeah. And uh, so it's a country that uh, has always been trying to get into the union, I guess, and Bulen can speak to that, and a country that Spain where, you know, it's also very pro-European, right? Um, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, what I think the last uh, few years have uh, made very clear is that, you know, more so than in the past, Europe is a mosaic of uh, different kinds of, uh, um, you know, countries and peoples. And it's remarkably difficult to uh, impose a homogeneous set of uh, institutions and uh, and treaties on, on all of those uh, very different countries, different cultures, different attitudes towards uh, everything, different economies, uh, different levels of competitiveness, and so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, European integration is good, um, but only if the steps that you're taking towards that goal are, you know, uh, justifiable and, uh, and you have the uh, foundations already in place to make those additional steps towards integration work. I think the problem is that over the last 10 or 12 years, for a number of reasons, uh, Europe has taken perhaps too many steps towards integration, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, now we're seeing, you know, some of the problems. And so, you know, I very much hope that the UK will remain 
within the European Union, because I think it's also going to be better for, for the UK itself. Um, if uh, Brexit does occur, I think this is going to be, you know, like really, really difficult to, to deal with, both on the continent and across the, the, the English Channel in, in Britain. It's going to be like a major crisis, major crisis, I would say. I don't know how Boulin feels about this. No, I want to add uh, two things. It would I mean, be really <clears throat> difficult. Yeah, and I like to add two things, Maura, which you said. Number one, Europe really has become European Union with Maastricht Treaty since 1992. Okay. And this is a very short, it's almost one generation to accomplish union. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you look at the United States, it took years in a civil war to get there. Yeah. So this is not going to be all that easy, especially in a continent which is the most heterogeneous of all places in such a, such a map. Therefore, it's going to be a while to get there. And that's for one. And the other part, I think what we see in Europe, similar to elsewhere, there's some sort of revolt against the elites because European Union often on, uh, dominated and run by bureaucrats. Yep. And you see this rise of populism and the frustration of people. Everyone is finding either the refugees or the Muslims or the European Union as the source of a problem, whereas sure. the yep. problems are really far more complex, but it takes a whole lot a seminar to explain, whereas people are ready to listen only just sound bites. Sure, yeah. And that's going to make it more difficult. But my sort of uh, reading in the long haul, nothing would go linearly upward. There are always hiccups, and we yeah. see one of those. And Europe hasn't really done well in the last two crises that we've seen. But that doesn't mean that it's not. It's just going to fall apart. Without Europe, without UK, it's going to be much weaker sure. yeah. union. So I hope, as Mara said, that won't happen. And so that the European Union has been a very successful peace project. They haven't lived up to their sort of uh, potential yet. Sure. Yeah. And especially with the refugee crisis, they really turn around European values. But there is still the potential. And I would not underestimate Europe in the long run. Thank you both for coming on today. Well, it's great to meet you in person. Thank you very much for coming in. That's my pleasure. Morrow, as always, great to talk to you. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. You got it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.